everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and as a reminder, for the next two weeks, Scott and I are taking a bit of a hiatus so we can man, so we can rest and recuperate after the lengthy session and multiple special sessions. And so this is a bit of a special episode. This is audio from our From Walkout to What's Next event that we held on a Sunday afternoon several weeks ago at the Oklahoma City Church of the Nazarene and the Cole Community Center. In this episode, you'll hear from me, you'll hear from Scott, also special guest Sabina Brown from OK Policy and Liz Wagner from the Oklahoma Women's Coalition. I think you can probably hear the audience pretty well too. There was some dialogue back and forth. I think there's a lot of rich content in there. Um, hopefully some decent stuff from us. Also great questions and comments from the crowd. Uh, and it really shows the level of engagement that's out there of people that are hungry for change in Oklahoma. I hope you enjoy. Next week, we're going to release the second one of these, second episode. Uh, and then in three weeks, we'll be back with a regular episode. Hope to see you then. talk about women's issues, 
asked that the legislature prioritize those issues, and then everyone went home, and guess what they didn't do? Prioritize women's issues. So uh, four of our founders got together and said, something needs to be done, we need to have a voice at the Capitol every single day during session, and actually working the process. Uh, so we are an advocacy organization. We're also nonpartisan, so we stay away from a lot of the hot button issues so we can be sure to have integrity with our voice on issues that impact all women. So anything that we work on, every single woman can say, absolutely, why would we not do that? How is that a thing that we actually have to fix in our state? Uh, so we prioritize four main issue areas, and that's health and wellness, alternatives to incarceration, so that's all of the criminal justice reform efforts, substance abuse prevention programs, not just incarcerating women who have brain health issues and addiction uh, at a rate 90 times higher than any other state. Um, and then uh, violence prevention, so domestic violence victims' rights, um, sexual assault victims' rights, and then economic security. So we are the main push for pay transparency, uh, we partner with a lot of people on paid family leave, promoting um, a state pilot program for state employees uh, to increase paid family leave by 12 weeks because um, we believe that when men and women are taken care of in the workplace and we truly achieve work-life balance, that nice buzzword we love to throw around that we don't actually do anything for, uh, that you know it, it benefits everyone. It benefits employers, employees, the economy, all of that. So that's a little bit um, about us. We also have lobby days. We also have, you know, different ways to engage. Um, I'd be happy to be a resource to any of you moving forward. Thank you for being here. Sabina. I will stand and hope I'm taller than one stands. <laughs> um, I'm Sabina Brown. I'm the Outreach and Advocacy Coordinator uh, for Oklahoma Policy Institute and also the Coordinator for Together Oklahoma. So for those of you that aren't familiar with Oklahoma Policy Institute, we're a nonpartisan organization that has this crazy idea that policy should be based on fact. Um, so, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> so to that end, we provide nonpartisan data-driven analysis on just a wide range of state um, budget and economic issues. Um, together, Oklahoma is the grassroots advocacy arm of Oklahoma Policy Institute. So we're just a uh, coalition of citizens um, that advocate for all the things that Oklahoma Policy Institute um, talks about. So if you read Oklahoma Policy Institute and you think legislators should listen to that, um, get involved with Together Oklahoma and we try to educate um, our members and the public on again a wide range of state issues and hopefully give you the tools and the knowledge to go up to the Capitol and start um, becoming a citizen lobbyist. Stand as well. I'm Scott Nelson. I'm a concerned citizen and <laughs> politics geek. That's really my credential, I guess. Um, a couple of years ago, a guy named Andy Moore created a Facebook event asking people to come to the Capitol um, and talk to their legislators. And I was like, man, I don't know this guy, but that sounds like a good idea and someone should do that. So I went. That was two years ago. Um, and then now Let's Texas is a nonprofit that I'm uh, sitting on the board, I'm a privilege of sitting on the board and kind of helping direct some of our activities. And then once a week, Andy and I sit together and have a uh, podcast where we talk about things that um, I wish more people cared about, um, things like policy, things like politics, what's happened, trying to help people digest what's going on at 23rd Lincoln. Um, so that's what I do on the side of my day job. Um, I work for a healthcare group here in town. I'm an internal medicine doctor and pediatrician. It's my professional background. Well, super. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks for coming. Uh, hello, sir.
Um, so, uh, as, as Representative Forrest Bennett walks through the door, and there are some people walking up to uh, There are a few folks I want to point out in the crowd. Um, two of our other board members, Gary Kaplaner is here, and Trent Rattery in the back. We've got the doors covered, so you try to exit, they're going to hold you back. Um, also, uh, Stephen Charles in the back is going to run our slides. You didn't know that when he arrived. I didn't either. Um, and I know that there are a few candidates here. If anyone, if you were running for office right now, could you raise your hand? Woo-hoo! Right. Uh, real quick, I'll just do this. Would each of you stand up and just say your name and what office you're running for? Go ahead. Okay. Charles Lipton, State Treasurer, so it's for the whole state. Super. Thank you, Charles. And then last but not least, voter registration forms. 
you need to register or update the registration if you've moved and you think you're going to forget to mail it, give them to me. I'll mail them. I mailed 11 of them last week for people I don't know. Um, <laughs> just give it, give it. You got to register, give it, I'll mail it. Um, and then take some of these too. I just printed these off the election board website. You can print them off too. I keep them in my car. You never know, you might need it. Um, someone gets frustrated with one side or the other, they want to change the registration. Okay, here we go. Um, on a note about this, if you want to vote in the June primaries, you must register by June 1st. The primaries are June 26th, so you've got uh, about a month and a half to register for that. You can't change your party right now. Well, you can, but it won't be effective until September, so if you're frustrated with that system, you got to wait. All right, there's that. Um, oh, and the representative for us, I already acknowledged him. Thanks for being here, sir. Um, Walk in the door. It's not even district. You can be out. Um, all right. Fly. We'll just do that. Exactly what the ladies are. Um, all right. So we've done that. Okay. Let's fly. Let's go. Let's go to the next one. All right. All right. So here's our agenda for today. We're going to talk a little bit about the walkout, talk about education funding, advocacy, the initiative petition process. We've had a lot of questions and discussion about that. Um, a little discussion of what's next. And then, and then we'll just field questions from you guys. So whatever you want to talk about, we can talk about. I know some good recipes as well. All right. So let's start with um, discussion of um, the walkout. How many of you went to the Capitol in the last couple of weeks for the walkout? Holy moly! Look at that. Oh, I 
sense. Uh, but I think this was a lot different having local businesses across the state supporting this. Yeah. yeah, so uh, I'm Katie Curran. I run a civic education program. And so when the schools were out, I had nothing to do. So I went, we were in the schools. So I went up and I got, had the opportunity to meet a ton of young people. And I don't know if you got to see any of their speeches, but this really incredible group of young people who met both at the Capitol and then kept meeting over Facebook, um, put together two different student-led um, rallies where they gave speeches and everything. And the most exciting thing is that has turned into a youth-led student voice coalition that they are putting together with over a thousand students from across the state. So uh, it was really fun to see the students have the opportunity to speak out and figure out what they could do. And they were behind the white t-shirts that said, I can vote with their birth date and then their representatives on the back. Right. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, uh, yeah, right now they are student voices for education. And they will be, they're changing, they're rebranding. They're awesome, I'm not gonna lie, when people are my favorite. But they're rebranding right now to go to issues that affect students beyond just education. Um, their focus will be on education for them right now, but they want to continue on. Okay. And I went to introduce Amy earlier. Um, so Amy's with a group called Generation Citizen. They teach, they go to schools and teach action civics to high school students. And I've had the privilege of being involved with them. They do a big civics day at the Capitol every year where the students present their projects. And unlike in other states uh, where Generation Citizen is involved, in Oklahoma, the students came up with like the hard-hitting issues. And so it was like criminal justice reform, uh, tax policy, water safety. And as I walked around, I was like, these are all the issues that I care about. Like, it was all, and uh, it was really interesting to kind of see them. They just found problems in the world and said, what do we do about this? And in almost every case, it was the same solutions that you hear about on the news, you hear about the groups talking about. So, great organization. Here. Just to kind of think back up with that, as an educator, I really felt like it was also kind of a time to kind of huddle up from around the state. Um, I mean, I think you're acutely aware of what's happening within your own building and definitely within your own school district, but then to have you know, voices from across the state saying the exact same things, I mean, you kind of feel like you're in a silo you're in your own building or your own district and you think your local school board is the only one facing that challenge and so I mean I've been able to connect with lots of people you know, from rural communities to you know other um, metro school districts and, and I think that has been really powerful because I think some of that momentum is carrying forward you know in intelligent conversations on how do we continue to advocate for what's best for students while not you know hurting our own school districts you know there's got to be some middle ground and some compromise. Anything else? I, what, what I really saw was this was one voice representing the state who was not party, Lone's party. This is one voice. And I thought, uh, that, that was a really good feeling because in today's divided society, we don't do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there was certainly some frustration and anger there, but overall, it was not entirely a happy thing, but there was, it was a different vibe. I'll just say that, a different vibe. I think one of the important parts to piggyback off of what several of you have said is that it drew awareness across the state. There was no denying that we collectively, regardless of party, as citizens, support public education. 
72% of people polled, even after the teacher pay raise legislation was passed, supported the walkout. And we continue to support the walkout. I mean, people showed up and took off work to come up and march with you all and to, you know, to be up there and be a part of it. And so I think uh, you know, any argument against public ed was just very quickly drowned out by the overwhelming swell of support and unity around, around our school districts. Um, I was struck by how many people who I've been friends with for so many years who had always been very, very apolitical and now how energized and, and politicized they were. Yes. And one person who I had a brief conversation with, but, you know, I, I talked with her when they had imposed a school reform that everyone was opposed to. And so we had said, are we going to push back? And her comment was, you baby boomers, you guys think, you, you guys were raised to be able to fight back and have unions and civil rights and all that. Our generation can't do that. Our generation can't. We have to go along with it. But she was not that way this way. <laughs> she had really changed her mind. Well, I think like Amy said, we really started to see a new generation of folks paying attention and finding how to get involved. So that's really exciting. Cool. Oh, um, so I guess mine is one of each best parts, and also one that I think is improvement. Great. I think the best part about it, to take back what somebody said was about how was one collective voice, like this stuff, a collective sense of ownership of it all. But at the same time, I feel like once we go back home, um, we're going to forget about it in a way. Because um, I, I, I personally don't believe it was going to become an issue for the suburban schools. Because I've been in the urban setting and we've been struggling for with specific things that are just our issues. And there seems to be no movement on those. And so it felt like we had to ride coattails of other of more fluent schools that had been finally affected by it to get something going. And I don't think we ever truly seized the opportunity of making it like a, a daily debriefing. You know, here's where we are. You know, we're, what do we have at our schools that you don't have? And maybe it's if we can share resources, those type of things. I think we missed out on a lot of those opportunities. You know, and maybe trying to make up a, a network of schools within within our state to say, here's what we have that you don't have. And here's what we can give you, vice versa. Um, that was probably, you know, the best part about it. You know, everybody was there, but also we just didn't really get, we just connected. We didn't really connect in a, a more deeper way. Right. So that's a great transition for the next question is, um, what what else, what can we do differently? What what do you, what did you miss seeing? What, what missed opportunities do you see? Um, what was frustrating about it? personally found frustrating was, um, and, and other people may have disagreed or not seen this, but once it was over with, when they concluded that the legislature wasn't going to move anymore, I think that a lot of people felt defeated and injected and like, well, what was all this for? And I think, we, I don't think we totally missed this opportunity. I think we're sort of at a pivoting point yeah. where it's up to the rest of us to say, no, no, it's not for nothing and you're not finished. You just started this huge wave that's, you know, we just have to keep it going. And it kind of goes with 
um, what the gentleman over there was saying too was like, we don't want to walk home and forget about it. So I feel like in the immediate cessation of the walkout perhaps, it would have been nice to say, you know, moving forward, you know, mm -hmm. here's some things, which I think is what you guys are going to do today, which is right. fantastic. But um, I feel like we're still in the window, but, but I wish it maybe in the more immediate aftermath, because I think perhaps some of those with more skin in the game, like the educators, might have felt even more supported. So, okay, these people are with us for the long haul. Right, right. Wait, mean, we have to go back to work, we got to pay bills, mm -hmm. kids got to learn. But how do we not drop the ball on this? And I think that's where organizations like us and, uh, and OK Palsy and Women's Coalition and a whole bunch of others, it's like, oh, well, this is where we need to step in. This is why we exist, is to try to find ways. And so me asking this question is so I can <laughs> help drive what we do and find out where the needs are. So this is really helpful. Somebody else raised their hand. Well, Let's go ahead. I think a lot of people, and, and I have to say, I didn't even try to get in to speak to anybody during this time because people were coming out so frustrated <laughs> and waiting for hours and hours and hours and not getting to talk to anybody. So that, I mean, I guess you can't really change that, but that was frustrating for a lot of people. And then they didn't get in or, or all wait for the session to start and then right. oh, then they voted within two minutes and we waited three hours to submit. So that part, I think you can change, but it was, it was frustrating for a lot of people. Sure. I mean, that's the flip side of having 30,000 people wow. there is you yeah. can't all talk to somebody. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's get crowded. Um, Becky, we'll come to you next. Go ahead, sir. I've been at the Capitol many years. I've never been a registered lobbyist. I'm a member of the American Federation of Teachers Retired. I was instrumental in setting up the union that represents state employees. I've been on their board of directors 15 years. They were honest enough. They were courageous enough to elect me twice as state chair. We, you, I understand, where do we go from here? That was an enormous positive thing. To make it work, you need people my age. I'm 75, I'm a grandfather of four, working with young people. You need more women. You need people that are computer literate. <laughs> you need people that's got a stake in the game. And if you're not registered to vote, I don't care what you think. It's not just a party thing. 500 years ago, a guy in the House of Lords in England, he wasn't exactly a wild-eyed liberal, Lord Aston said, absolute power is absolute cor corruption. Look what we got. They don't care what we think. They get elected every two years because nobody runs against them. This time, I've lived in this town all my life. We've had more people register office, almost 800. And if you're not registered and you don't vote, who cares what you think? The only way we'll win this is this age, not this age. Unions, there's nothing wrong with them. And be more respectful. Remember your American history. Many years ago, I taught American history at Capitol Hill High School. Remember, this nation gave African slaves the right to vote before they gave women the right to vote. That's how much they respect women. That baboon in the White House. Give me a <laughs> I can tell you how, you know how to look at him. Oklahoma's full of boys. You know, how, you know how to tell if he's a man? Look at his behavior. If he marries the smartest woman that won't turn him down, he made the cut. I did. She worked for Woods Petroleum, and I worked for the state. Guess who made the most money? She knew how to rape. She took a 15-year-old the head under the bed, and he's practicing law in Houston. I know how to get rid of bad guys. My heroes wear a gun or a badge. I spent half my life in domestic violence. 
We have a district attorney, David Prater. If you hurt a woman, you're going to McAllen. Remember that incident where they, all those African-American women were raped by an Oklahoma City police officer? They got a clinical psychologist, a female that was about 30, that looked about 20, to interview that <clears throat> suspect. She could have convicted him. 40 women, they don't go to the same church, they don't know each other. Her questions were, why does he turn off his dash camera at 2 a.m.? Why do 44 women say the same thing? They don't know each other, go to the same church. Prater's a real deal. He don't want to be governor. He wants to put dangerous people in McAllister. I was just the assistant. Everybody said he couldn't be elected. Everybody wants to be the Oklahoma County DA to be governor. He wants to put bad people away. He used to be a deputy sheriff. He used to be a normal police officer. Respect women's the next step up. And I'm telling you, you people will get it done. We will help you any way we can. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, any, anyone else? Uh, yes, Becky, I'm sorry. Um, so as a state employee, um, you were involved kind of in the walkout too. Um, however, I don't think anyone knew that. Um, other, and even, uh, it's actually in my, um, in my observation, it's actually where every state employee is part of OCDA, the Oklahoma Public Employees Association, mm -hmm. which is not a union because but it's a as a advocacy it's a membership organization. Yeah, it's a membership organization. Um, and so I don't know if a lot of state employees realize that we were part of that. Um, and one of the most disappointing, though not surprising, um, comments I heard was from the governor, and she said, well, but we have to fund um, criminal Justice part two, and after this, like, you can't take money back. Yeah, exactly. That's why we're in this too, but I don't think yeah. it was very clear. So I heard a lot of folks, the capital, uh, it was mostly teachers, and that's who I heard from, saying, okay, like, maybe we've reached all we can get with education funding, but mm -hmm. do we need to now, like, pivot, like, keep walking out and just, like, change and yeah. try to shed light on other things? And there's certainly, you know, some uh, speed bumps in doing that. But for the public employees that were there, um, I think that's a huge thing. And, and towards the end, maybe our very last slide, um, we'll kind of address about what public employees can do. Because for all my friends that work uh, for state agencies, there's a lot of misinformation. I think we're all trained. You should not say anything political. You have an opinion. Uh, you just be quiet, lest you be fired. And that's certainly not the case. Right. There's just limitations. I'm, I'm a public employee also, and a proud member of local PEA. And, uh, same thing. Very frustrated. I've got some employees that have been complaining to me for years. You know, you don't give us, you don't give me a raise. You don't give me a raise. You don't give me a raise. Next thing you know, is to walk out. I'm the only one going. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so yeah, not experiencing that. It's it's very interesting. All the teachers are in this together. The state employees, you know, they'll bitch at you. They, they'll bitch when when they're the water cooler, but then. If they told you you're allowed to take a vacation day to walk out, they say, well, I'd rather keep my vacation day. And, and that was very, very frustrating. Was, I think it was an institutional component, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mr. Bennett? Yeah, it's not. I mean, but I just want to do that. to the woman's point about being disappointed about perhaps the outcome of the, of the walkout, I want to provide some context. First of all, many of my colleagues, I believe, 
If you can't teach the kids what they need to know to pass the test because the books are out of date or they don't have enough, they have to share, that to me is that's a complete failure. And that's the part that needs to be improved on at the Capitol is you've got to fund the education ongoing, not just a raise one time. So what I'm, what I'm hearing, this is really I mean, some of the meat and potatoes of why I wanted to have us all come together today. We're going to do another event like this tomorrow night um, up in Edmond um, at the Patriarch. So if you know anyone in Edmond that couldn't come today, tell them tomorrow night at 6.30. I'll put it on social media. What's on You're Facebook? Now? Where will it be? What's that? You said it in where? Uh, well, we just got the Patriarch. We've been trying for a week and we didn't get confirmation on the location okay. until. Well, I mean, I shared it this morning. Thank you. So, what um, kind of what I heard in, uh, in that, Eddie, uh, made a point um, here about like the power of those images, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's. So, what we had in the last couple of weeks is tens of thousands of teachers got a crash course in civics. Mm -hmm. And we're all having to relearn stuff that we might have learned in eighth grade, yeah. but you, like how a bill becomes a law and, and how the system works, and you probably didn't pay attention when you were 13 because you didn't care, and now it affects your life and your kids and your job and the future, and like, oh, I should pay attention now, and it's a lot to learn in a hurry, and so the time that I popped by the Capitol during the walkout, I talked to folks outside, and they were like, okay, so here's what I learned today, and people asking questions about what is JCAD? When are they going in session? What does this look like? Why do they do it this way? Um, that happens um, to lead towards like lots of misinformation and anger about the wrong things, right? Like it's easy to get upset about something and then you miss the boat on the thing that was important. You wonder why they spend so much time with pomp and circumstance and recognizing of everything of the day and when this all happens. Uh, and so. I hope that that first bite that you that you've eaten um, was a tasty morsel, <laughs> and that you will continue to eat more and to stay more involved and to find ways to do it. And and I totally sympathize because that's been me for the last two years as someone who was not involved at all and didn't know anything, just trying to learn things now. So I stand before you not as an expert, but as just a guy who's two years ahead of you on doing this. Um, and you probably know as much as I do, or you at least found some gaps in it. Scott, you're in the same boat, and I see you yes. to say something. No, I, just, I agree. Like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think, unfortunately, there was a little bit of, like, shaming going on. Yeah. I'm sure mm -hmm. for some of you who maybe said congressman instead of representative or didn't quite understand the government structure, that's super intimidating. And that's a lot of information to digest when you're on an emotional high of anger, righteous anger. <laughs> so kudos to you for showing up and for learning and for educating yourself. This stuff is complicated. Hint, some of people in the actual legislature don't even know how it works or what things mean or how to read a bill and how to interpret things in certain terminology. So. I, I doubt half of them can state the state constitution in any sort of capacity. So 
like this is very important stuff and was it worthwhile? Absolutely, because you're engaged now. Now you see what, unfortunately, so many of us who, you know, I'm a, I am a registered lobbyist in the Capitol. I know, but I'm a good one. I'm a good one. No, but it, it's our world every day. And it can be very uh, demoralizing, quite honestly. And I kind of want to shake people who say, I just don't really care about politics. It's just, I don't really get involved. It's just not my thing. I'm like, if you live here, it's your thing. If you work here, it's your thing. If you go, if your kids go to school here, if you intend on doing anything at all in the state, it's your thing. So, absolutely was worthwhile uh, because you now see what we know all too well to be a reality, which is that too often your voices and your interests are not being represented in the way that you think they should, that they absolutely should, or that what they go back and tell you, yes, I support education. Oh, okay, well, we're good. I can check out. No, you aren't good. They aren't taking care of you. So this was absolutely worthwhile, and I applaud you because it's exhausting, and it's, it is stressful. I mean, the amount of times I've been patted on the head like, oh, it's okay, sweetie. It's really cute that you think this is an issue that I'm going to talk to you about, so I know you experienced that <laughs> if you were up there for any period of time. So... Seriously, kudos. Amazing. You know, I was one of the ways I had several friends that were there almost every day, and um, the way that the way that I try to put it in context, because they would text me and they're like, I just feel like we're not getting anywhere, it's like we're not accomplishing anything. People that I like I said are very kind of dejected about the state of things. It's kind of echo what Representative Bennett said. If you think about it, we're in about a billion and a half dollar hole for education in Oklahoma, we're about a billion and a half behind where we arguably like should be, depending on what our goals are as a state. Um, you got 30% of that back in like four weeks, which is remarkable. Historic. Like when you consider that it took, you know, 15, 20 years to dig that billion and a half dollar hole, you got 30% of it back in four weeks. That is incredible. Um, All you had to incredible. do was set a date for a walkout. Yeah. And they were like, <laughs> crap. <laughs> Um, but the next the next thirty percent though is, is going to be even harder, and the thirty percent that comes after that is going to be harder still. And if we don't want to just get back to status quo, if we don't want to just get back up to the top of the hole, but we really want to invest in education in the future, I think a question that I hope we as a state can have as we're moving forward, a lot of you know a lot of people I, I heard the refrain a lot: education should be fully funded. I agree. I think a question that we have to ask is, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Does that mean, does fully funded mean we're not 49th, but we're like 35th? Um, or does it mean that we're 20th? Or does it mean we're 15th? Or does it mean that we're first? Like, what does, what, what does, like, do you know what I mean? Like, what does, what does, what does, what does it mean to fully fund education? Like, what does that look like? What's our dream as a state for what our education should be, our education system? We'll get to that in a second. Scott's skipping ahead because he made Sorry. a slide. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I, I, forgot. I, I just wanted to add something um, to what Liz said about this idea. You know, like I think it's twofold. People come to the Capitol and they think, like, well, I don't, I don't really know enough to be involved. Or like legislators will, I think, sometimes try to shame you, like, like you said, like, well, that's cute. Like, let us handle this. So this is a fact that I like to remind people of. Does anybody know what the qualifications are to run for state? Representative or state senate? If you're running, if you can, you have to be you have to be 21 years old to run for state rep. You have to be 25 years old to run for state senate. You have to live in the district for like six months, and you can't be a felon. 
That's it. That's it. <laughs> so being a legislator doesn't make you some like magical know-it-all know person. The legislator is made up of people that represent the public. I, I remember like before I got involved, I had this idea that everybody that was a legislator was like a lawyer and they were super educated. They're not. There's, there's lawyers, there's teachers, there's farmers, there's doctors. I think we have a motivational speaker. Some have master's degree, some just have a high school degree. So never assume that your legislator knows more than you do or that for some reason you're not qualified to speak. Yeah. Because you are. <laughs> and they, and they, they kind of piggyback on that, they depend on our input because they, I say our input, they depend on input from somewhere. So last year, um, in the first part, the first session of this legislature, um, there were right at like 2,000-ish bills filed, right? Mm -hmm. About 2,000. About 1,000 of them got laid over to this session. Um, about another 2,000, 1,800 bills filed. So that's 4,000 bills dealing with everything from what kind of crops you can grow to education funding to healthcare policy to no one person can be an expert on all of those things. Yeah. I don't know what, yeah. no matter what your credentials are. Yeah. So when these things come to the floor, they rely on people to tell them this is what you should do and why. And so when people say like, if you show up and you talk to them, the reason it has an impact is because you might be the only person other than those registered lobbyists who showed <laughs> up and talked to them about the merits or demerits of a particular bill. Yeah. And if you're one of their constituents, I can't say that they're always going to take that opinion more seriously, but that goes a long, that goes a long way. Um, so know that not only is it possible, but it's very likely that an issue on which you're particularly, for which you're particularly passionate, um, you, know you probably know more. Mm -hmm. You probably are much more of an expert than them. Scott's a pediatrician, my background's in mental health. I'm no tax policy expert, but I've learned a lot about oil and gas tax in the past year. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, it's complicated. So, see, uh, so next slide, please. All right, so as Scott asked, is education fully funded? And I think his point was the one we were trying to make is that we, the state, um, and all of us, have got to define what that means. Maybe you define that for yourself, and you talk to your spouse, or your neighbor, or your friend, or your principal, or whoever, and start asking that question, um, and to come to consensus. The more successful we are at coming to consensus about what that means, and what that number looks like, the better we will be off in the state, and better off as a state, and the more effective advocacy will be. Uh, and so I know one of the concerns, frustrations I heard from a lot of folks was that they felt like the ask, what, uh, what folks were asking for during the walkout evolved or changed over time. And you heard that complaint from the legislature who you want to, you know, we wanted to say, we need more money for education. And they say, okay, how? Like, that was not my job, that was your job. Well, yeah, but the guy might make boots. He doesn't know all the places <laughs> you can get money. And so um, any, any solid ask has as much information, you want to make it as turnkey as you can, and having that specific number of what they're looking for helps. Because if they come back and say, well, okay, where do we get the money from? And everyone just says, ball and dice? Um, <laughs> you're going to get ball and dice. You're like, well, that's not enough. Like, that's what you asked for, right? I mean, you ask your kids, what do you want for dinner? And they're like, oh, mac and cheese, and that's all you give them. They might want other things. No, kids only want mac and cheese. Uh, <laughs> So uh, Scott and I set out to describe the school funding formula for you all, because there's lots of questions about that. 
I don't have enough time <laughs> to start uh, that. It's insanely complicated. Amy, you appreciate it. I love that you go along with that, though, and this has to do with what you were saying about the textbooks that I have learned over this. You know, I've tried to understand education funding, too. And it is complicated, but it starts with the state legislature, but we also really need to hold our department accountable for the money and then our individual <laughs> because I mean there is I mean there is some merit to what's being said and if we're not holding people accountable at every one of those levels and even when it gets to your school district it gets more uncomfortable because your friends you can keep them yeah. and you see them but there are kids that were you know a little bit uncomfortable and frankly just like talking to a banker about money elected officials for the most part are comfortable talking about policy and disagreeing I mean it's not the worst thing ever so I think one takeaway that I got out of this is we need to be more, um, pay attention more to those, all three of those levels. Right, yeah. So there is money at, at all levels, and it all goes in different things. And if there's one thing I've learned, is that Oklahoma's tax code uh, probably needs to be revised, like, uh, in total, right? Like, our state is weird in the way we've got things set up, where everything is like, this money goes to this specifically, and not over here, and, and so it, really kind of hamstrings the legislature's ability to move some of it around and state leaders on down. In my, in my actual day job, um, we are a, it's in healthcare, we're a grant funded uh, program for people with HIV. So we're mostly federally funded, some state dollars, I guess are still federal. But, uh, and so I get questions all the time from my staff of like, well, don't I have money in the grants for this? How does this work? And so I try to be as transparent as I can and like you said, it is uncomfortable sometimes. But I try to draw a flowchart as best I can to be like, well, here's how much money we get. And it occurred to me early on that even like telling my staff what the total amount of a grant is, like, well, this grant is eight hundred eighty-two thousand dollars. Everyone's like, oh, we're loaded. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Let's talk about where this money goes. Because what sounds like a million bucks does not go as far as you would think when you're trying to provide comprehensive health care for people with HIV, right? And so it's like, here's a tiny piece. That funds staff, and here's everything else because healthcare is expensive, and trying to break it down. And by the end, my staff are usually appreciative. They know a little bit more, um, and even if they didn't get the answer they want, they're like, okay, well, at least I know, right? And I think Oklahoma is not a super transparent state when it comes to government. <laughs> One of the least transparent states. There are some efforts to improve that. Um, there are always some efforts to improve that. Look that up, um, and I, we, as Let's Fix This, we don't push many issues or kind of back many issues. Government transparency is one that we do because that's not a partisan thing, right? Like, it benefits everybody. It's okay, we're all in this together. We are the people. Let's talk about where the money comes from and where it goes. Um, I, I did want to have one note regarding Senate Bill 1569 because it kind of blew up on social media this week. Um, so this is the Senate bill that um, Scott, I've got here. Changed, yes. From next year, the fuel tax. So this is getting, uh, yeah, go ahead. This is getting, this is getting a lot of buzz on the uh, the interwebs and the Twitter. It's like, okay, well, they passed the fuel tax. This is the this is the uh, three cent gallon on gas, six cent gallon on diesel tax that is supposed to fund education. And there's some articles coming out this week that are saying, oh well, now they're saying the next year that's going to be put into roads and bridges. This is supposed to fund education. Well, there's money that right now is going to roads and bridges for income taxes. Would this 
gas tax money goes into roads and bridges, dollar for dollar, the income tax money will not go in there anymore. So the money to fund education uh, mandates will be there, but it's going to be income tax money, not roads and bridges, which ultimately is better because income tax, in, in my opinion, because income tax collections largely are much less volatile as a funding source than the fuel tax. But does that not mean they can also request those funds for additional projects later? Right. So, sure. So I think this is the point I was going to make. Is that we all want to have dedicated funding. And in fact, there's a huge amount of money that is apportioned that comes off the top that the legislature can't touch. A whole bunch of money that goes to a variety of projects, including roads, including education, lots of stuff. Um, and everyone wants dedicated funding. And, and so I think there was the belief that because it was originally, originally earmarked for education, it was for every education, um, and that's, if they kept it that way, people, it would have been nice, right? They'd be like, all right, this money's just for us. Looking in the long picture, that's not gonna happen. And this is one of those things that I think there was a lot of blow up about that is probably not warranted, like we need to spend our energy somewhere else. Um, because it's basically, it comes down to like, um, you and your spouse both have paychecks, and you pay electric bill, and, and they pay the gas bill, and you decide to switch who pays which bill, it's still getting paid. And on some level, if all the money just went into the state and they decided where it would go, we would have a better ability to advocate on certain things. Um, and the fact that they did that switch doesn't actually change anything. It, it looks bad, especially right if they just waited a year to change that instead of doing it right after they voted on it. They're not great with optics of the, the state <laughs> to do things and seem a little foolish at times. Um, I think this is one of those things that, had they waited, it wouldn't have caused the, the stir that it has. Sure. Oh, by the way, on the school funding, the single best estimate, not perfect estimate, but the single best estimate the Rutgers Education Law Center says to bring our poorest quintile of students up to the national average in outcomes $6,600 per student, an 80% increase. So there are some hard facts out there that haven't been presented to the legislature, but mostly I want to just say, let's not overreact to the, the, that particular uh, controversy, because what we've got is a system, and this is what I've been wrestling with ever since then. I don't know what, what to think on that, but I'm from working in the system. A lot of people here are from work, working in the system. Keep your head down, you choose your words carefully, you try to go back, back, back. But that we need to have a bigger conversation, and the conversation will have detours like that. All we have to do, one of one to me, let's just think for a second. We got what 15,000 union members, and, and all of a sudden they created 70,000 on Facebook. We who've been involved in this over the years have got to loosen up and get into this broader conversation on social media and a larger debriefing and a vibrant conversation about policy, one that's going to scare the dickens out of us a lot of times and going to lead to some of these things. But let's not overreact when all these wonderful new people bringing their energy are in it. Let's see if we can invest in it real public debriefing social media exchange and not worry so much about where it can go wrong. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm.
Well, I was just going to, since we're on that topic, I just kind of wanted to talk about this sheet real quick. Um, I know you mentioned, like, you don't like, like, wonky things, and I'm not the wonky either, so I kind of wanted to break it down. Um, the, is education fully funded? Um, to sum this up into one word, no. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys had mentioned the fuel tax, um, and like that was the headline. I think that was what everybody was upset about. But I did want to draw attention to one thing that we probably should be talking about more, and that's the cigarette tax. So a lot of people went to the Capitol, and we got a lot of questions about this. This was a fact sheet that a lot of like legislators were giving out that showed that we actually had like a $29 million surplus to education. The problem with this number is that of the revenue bills that passed, one of them was an increase in the cigarette tax. And this number assumed that we have this for education. The problem with that is that in year two, that money is dedicated to go back into health. So that money isn't available for education. So in year two, we actually have a $115 million shortfall in education funding because that cigarette tax money is no longer available. So. We got a lot done with the walkout, but I think this just highlights that there's still a lot of work to be done. The other thing, to, the other, the other thing I think that needs to be a big part of conversation moving forward is a law that was passed 2016, House Bill 2763, created a fund called the Revenue Stabilization Fund, um, which is similar to but different than the Rainy Day Fund that you probably have heard about. And essentially this looks at Revenue streams that are generally more volatile, things like gross production taxes and oil and gas, co corporate income taxes, and says that when, okay, when state revenue collections exceed a certain threshold, which I want to say it's like $5.7 billion, any money that comes from those taxes, the, the amount that's collected is compared to the average that's been collected for the last five years. And if if the amount collected in a given fiscal year exceeds that five-year average, the difference, or a proportion of the difference, by law, can't be appropriated. It has to be put in this revenue stabilization fund so that it can be appropriated in later years to try and prevent these fluctuations in the budget. If kind of certain economic trends hold, oil and gas prices keep going up, looking at the increase in GPT that we just achieved from 2% to 5%, Next year, we could see about $300 million get taken away from the legislature that they could appropriate and get put into this revenue stabilization fund, which is going to cause lots of problems for all of this new funding that we just passed. They can fix this. The legislature has the opportunity to fix this, but um, knowing them, it'll be due like Tuesday and I'll do it Monday night at 4. Is this what you were asking about? Well, not exactly, but I'm I, what I was going to keep saying is, I, as much as I kind of was not surprised that the stand-up plan maybe didn't, those were, those were some of my friends from old chamber days and things like that, but the, I think the reason they did it is they just felt like they were knocking their heads up against a brick wall at the Capitol, and nobody was doing something, so we're going to come up with a plan. The planning group was probably not quite inclusive enough. Uh, a common discussion I'm having now is the whole issue of how we're funding. I think we've gotten the easy part. We raise the taxes and we're good again. 
Island of Tan, where we're spending $21 million a piece on new football fields. And the teachers are still having to put out on the first day of school their wish lists for paper and Kleenexes. We really do need to revisit the way schools are funded. I brought up that to one of our legislators. He had presented a bill to put together a special commission, one of their study committees, plus bringing in from the private sector, developers, and it never even got here. So I do think there are times that we need to make a change, but they're not going to instigate the change. I said the other issue I thought was very interesting about was we need to look at that bloat, administrative bloat in Stephanie Bice presented a bill to to uh, consolidate superintendents, I think, and it didn't make it out of committee. I don't know what we got here. So I do think, you know, that while I don't feel the step up was quite conclusive enough in the painters, which could kind of tick you off when they come, you know, to tell us what to do, somebody's going to have to say, we're going to put the group together and we're going to revisit the funding issue because. And what I was interesting too is when we were at, I took some uh, young male women to the Capitol uh, from Edmond High School, and they sat there, and one of them said, But this doesn't really apply to this person. I, I, I appreciate it, they said, We're privileged. And if you start fiddling with the, th with the uh, property taxes, then that's not fair to places like Oklahoma City. I just thought I didn't even know how they knew about annual taxes. I wouldn't have put on the senior. But I mean, there are some smart, sane kids out of there, and I just think we got money. This state has got plenty of money that is supposedly going to education, and it's not necessarily through taxes, but it's going to this, and people don't understand that. I, I see that all the time. We're putting down AstroTurf on our football field, and, and they're down there begging for money for textbooks. You know, I think it's two different spots, you know, people don't know. So two things, thank you for that point, Dana, and what Scott said. How, in the last five minutes, how many of you felt like you got a little lost or confused in the discussion of the tax? Right? So this is that's how they get you, right? Uh, yeah, even if, even if you're the one talking about it. And I, Scott paused for a second to be like, okay, wait, let me make sure I say this correctly, because it is complicated. And I think the biggest thing we can all do is to get informed, right? It's to, read about some of this, go to okpolicy.org. They've got a lot of fact sheets that kind of break it down pretty easily. Uh, if you listen to our podcast, Scott and I try to break it down. And if, if I can understand it, then you can understand it. Uh, because it's things that, I try to put it into everyday terms. Yeah. Like the thing with spouses, money, and bills, and ways that we all can kind of relate to it. Uh, because it does get complicated. And if you don't get it, ask. Like, look it up, ask your legislator, they don't get it, then you got to worry. Um, but, you know, call the author of the bill. So, like the Budget Stabilization Fund, uh, uh, David Holt, now full city's mayor, is one of the authors of that. Uh, he's a smart guy, um, and he will, I mean, he's busier now as mayor, but he's great about returning messages and asking those kinds of questions. Being like, hey, I don't get this. Like, what's the intent behind this? Where did it come from? And try to find out a little bit more. It takes some work, right? Like it takes all of us doing a little bit of homework. Um, but you, if you learn about three bills a session, um, you are way ahead of most all of your neighbors, right? Yeah. Most of them have no idea. So even three bills would be a huge help. So, all right, Steve, go ahead, please. Um, so we've kind of talked about some of these things, uh, just in general, hints and tips for effective advocacy. Sabina, do you want to talk about some of this? This is kind of in your wheelhouse. Yeah, um, I think. 
for starters, know who your state rep and your state senator is. I mean, I think that's really, really basic information, but that's a, a good place to start. Um, when I talk about effective advocacy, I kind of like to think of it as like a hierarchy of like most to least effective. Um, at the very top of that list, face-to-face -face conversations with your legislators are the best thing that you can do. Um, and state legislators are very approachable. Like, I think that's what I like about getting involved in state-level politics versus federal. You know, like, you've probably written a letter to your, your congressman or your senator and you get that form email back. It's a little bit different with state legislators. Like, you'll get a more personalized message back. Um, you might even get a phone call back. Um, so, but just establishing that personal relationship with your legislator, I think, is very important. Get to know their name. Um, make it so that when you call, they know who you are. Um, personal stories make a difference. It's really great uh, to have some facts and figures, but don't ever feel like you need to be an expert on any given topic to speak out about something. I mean, you should, you should definitely research things and have some basic information, but you don't have to be an expert to share your opinion. You all know how state government affects you. If you have kids in school or you're a teacher, you know how this stuff affects you. Share those stories. That's what legislators, um, that's what legislators need to hear from you. Um, I have one really great story that I think highlights really great advocacy, um, and it actually relates to the Affordable Care Act. But one of the things that passed with the Affordable Care Act was lifetime, the ban on lifetime limits. Do you guys know that that wasn't even a part of it when, when they first started talking about health care reform? That was not part of the conversation. Most senators at the time didn't know that there was lifetime limits on insurance. The reason that became part of law was because of one advocate. It was one mother whose son had hemophilia, and she worked out on her medical bills that her son would run out of benefits by the time that he was 16. So she established a relationship with her senator. She um, wrote letters to the editor, she went to rallies, she requested in-person meetings, she brought pictures, she talked about her son, and this senator, who didn't know that lifetime limits was a thing, suddenly knew it was a thing, and he became a champion on this issue. And he recruited another senator, and they wrote a bill, and it became part of the Affordable Care Act. So I just like to share that story because it really highlights what effective advocacy can do, and the fact that those personal stories matter, and personal relationships really do matter, and it really does make a difference. Yeah. To piggyback off that, I'll say, legislators I talk to when they're pushing a particular issue and I'm like, okay, talk to me about why this is a bill that you're pushing. And if they say that it's a constituent request bill, they are going to, I'm not across the board, but the majority of the time in my experience, they're, it's something that they're going to promote a little bit, work a little bit harder for, because they feel the conviction, most of them, to represent the voice of that constituent who did their homework, who shared their personal story, who puts a face to an issue that isn't just facts and figures, but this is everyday life. And I think that the majority of legislators, at least in the beginning, ran for office to be that voice and to champion those individuals. Um, and so, you know, absolutely 100%. And to piggyback off some other things that were said, um, it there's a statistic that says that there's only, it only takes seven to eight touches, meaning phone calls, emails, obviously in-person meetings before you sway or lock in the mind of a legislator. 
So we think that, and obviously 30 to 50,000 <laughs> voices couldn't quite get us across the finish line, but when you're having those personal one-on-one -on -one interactions with your legislator, especially as their constituent, and you call five of your friends to do the same thing that live in that district, you can pretty well bet that that is going to have an impact on that legislator in the way they vote. My personal dream, uh, and then we'll do two questions, but my personal dream is that each of you are known by your yeah. state legislators, like by sight, right? Yeah. Like they may know your name, but there's a point, and I know some of you are already in that point. Um, like for me, a few weeks ago, I was walking through Target, and my house rep, uh, I just moved, so my former house rep said hello to me as I walked through Target. I thought, aha, I've made it. Like she knows who I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and now she and I disagree. We disagreed on almost uh, a lot, you know, all policy about like, um, but, she, but she said hello. I didn't call her. She was walking by. Hey, and like, oh, hey, Representative Paul. And it was, and so we can, and so we can talk about things. And I get. I mean, she's got each house rep has about thirty-eight thousand constituents. Chances are they're not all going to agree on everything. And if the other side, if the, whoever is has a different opinion than I do on something, if they all show up and only three people that I agree with show up, well then they win, right? Well, I think we all envision this model democracy where everyone shows up and then, okay, you advocate for your side and one side comes out. But right now, I'm talking about turnout in a minute, like when so few people show up to vote or call or write or meet, um, then you've got you know six people out there speaking on behalf of 38,000, and that's not the way it is, so. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, one more thing. And Actually, someone told this to me. It was a legislator who told this to me uh, that, you know, I think she was asked a question, what what will get through to you? Or kind of how do we interact with you when, when you don't agree with us? You know, what what do we, what, what starts to bring that conversation back to center? Um, and she said, you would be amazed at how few people, when I say, I'm sorry, I just can't really support that, they don't ask me why. Why? And there's so many, and I've started adopting that um, as I go and engage with legislators on women's issues when they say, well, you know, I just really can't support your pay transparency bill. Okay, why? And that then humanizes us to one another because a lot of times it's either a personal experience, negative experience, they have some negative connotation they have with what the bill would do or wouldn't do, and that allows us to have a conversation as one human to another human because legislators are people too. And they have personal experiences. I had a senator who was blocking a bill completely and just like, nope, I'm not going to hear it. Nope, nope, just nope. And I'm like, why? Finally asked him why instead of trying to just weasel my way around him over and over. Um, and it was because he had had two employees who had discussed their pay in his business. And they were both men. It had literally nothing to do with what my bill would do. But he thought that it did. And so then I was able to have a conversation with him around what this bill did, why it actually isn't what he's afraid of happening. We're not out to get small businesses. Um, and we were able to move things forward. So always ask why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, David, then we'll go over here. I'm going to go off that. Um, don't think it's a
not, they're not, they're not using it. I have fish, pickle, cinder. Okay, you're saying this, but why? Okay, this, but why? Because that's what we learn in Right, yeah. So, um, we looked up our school address, and we are in John Evans' district. Our school is in this district. So we're trying to contact him to come out to our school now, hopefully within the next week or so, because, again, the momentum thing, we don't want to lose that momentum. Good for you. So a couple of questions. Once we get the meeting set up, how do we maximize that FaceTime with him? Mm-hmm. Um, from a policy perspective, but then also from an anecdotal perspective as well. But then the third, the second question is, how do we know what is possible and what isn't possible? Sure. And that's, you know, and I think we should be doing more. We, I feel like, you know, we went to the Capitol in mass. Now they need to come back to their districts to see. Right. Yep. And it would be really good, I think, to go back to the earlier slide. Like, what do we do now? That should be the next step is to, to keep that momentum going and have them in our local districts and seeing the people who weren't able to come, the parents, the students specifically, other community members who didn't have an opportunity to go to the Capitol to engage that and have that voice. So yeah. those are excellent questions. Um, yeah, so in the next couple of weeks, they may sign you die and go home, right? And between now and June and November, they are campaigning. Almost all of them this year up for, uh, well, all the houses up for re-election. Most everyone has uh, opponents, like that in both parties. It'd be an exciting year. Uh, and so they have an incentive to be out there and meeting voters. Uh, and they will knock doors. And if you can invite them to come to things, have a barbecue at your house and say, hey, I'm inviting 10 of my neighbors to come over. Roll your grill out to the front yard and invite like the six houses around you. And be like, we're having a cookout right here on the sidewalk. We always cook out in the backyard, right? You don't invite, put out in the front yard, invite your neighbors, you bring ham salad, you bring whatever. Is ham salad a thing? That's, That's disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> 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 it's disgusting. 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 Two of the candidates live on my street, like about a block away from each other, which is going to be fun. Uh, very different parties. And so I'm like, let's have a debate down at the end of the street. Like, let's just yeah. put out a table, you can bring the flyers. My record is two blocks away. Yeah, and they, I mean, that's the deal is that, like Sabina said, they're in your neighborhood, they're in your area. And so, whatever it is to get them to come, if you tell them that you're going to have people there, like the more people you get to show up, the more incentive they have to come. If you can kind of prepare them to know what they're walking into, mm-hmm. that helps. Um, recognize that they're busy and they may, might not be able to uh, go to everything because they've got lots of other things to go to, fundraising, whatever. Um, and But you got to ask. If you don't ask, then they can't say yes. Um, and so once they're there, I think we all know the more you prepare for something, the better it's going to be. And so you've got certain questions and you can talk to the other parents, teachers, whatever, whoever's going to be there, and like have this kind of conversation about, like, well, what do you guys want to talk about? What do you, what should we ask for? What are we, um, I'd like asking open-ended questions, like why? It's a big one about lots of stuff. Um, what can we do? Ask them what they think is the max they can perceive, because many of them have never thought about it. We tend to be a really reactive state, right? Like yeah. something happens and oh, we gotta respond to that, respond to that. We're not great about looking at the future. 
Everyone's talking about two years, four years from now, not 30 years. Like, where's Oklahoma going to be in 2030 or 2050, where do we want to be? Um, and so ask them those questions. I think we could all use a, a dream every now and then, right? And we can encourage our leaders to dream a little bit about what Oklahoma looks like to them, what that vision looks like. That's my impression. I love the hands after that. Yes, ma'am. Well, just in response, I've been an educator for a long time. And as an educator, you're really, really busy and focused on those kids in the classroom. And so having that, being able to have a conversation even with your colleagues, I'm betting that most of the faculty doesn't even know what to ask. It hasn't thought about a bunch of this stuff, and maybe only a handful have. So right now, I think there's, uh, there's need probably uh, for some guidance about what kinds of things can educators ask? And I, I always have a problem with we're 39th or they're 59th or we're whatever, because really good education should, we all should be number one in the whole United States. Why are we competing and thinking, let's figure out what kind of wonderful education our kids deserve and figure out how to get it for them. This is, to me, this is the wrong conversation to constantly figure out where, we, where we're ranked. We want great education. And I, I'm not certain, you know, the textbook thing bothered me a bunch, but I'm not certain why, uh, why aren't we going for new technology that doesn't have to update old textbooks and, you know, all the time. I mean, really. So I think there's, we need to look at education very differently. And I think it's easier to get people excited about investing things especially the business community. If you show that you have ideas and you want to join the rest of the world, you want to be progressive, you know, you need money, you want money for this, they're not going to get really excited about textbooks except they're ashamed. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyway, just some thoughts. That's good thoughts. I do want to um, kind of sidestep for a second um, and talk about what you can do as teachers, as public employees, and what you can't do. Um, because there's lots of questions about this. Um, and the short answer um, is you can advocate, you can go to the Capitol, you can do whatever you want on your own time with your own stuff. The big line is you can't use state property, school property, which means your computers, your devices, your uh, school email address to advocate for any candidates or issues or whatever. And that's also all that stuff is subject to open records. And not that our state's great with open records, but you don't want to be the person whose email ends up in Ben's news article or something, right? Like, <laughs> it's, uh, that stuff can happen. Um, and so being aware that if you're doing it at home, and this includes social media posts while you're at work. So if you're a teacher and you happen to still have a prep hour, that's still a thing, um, and you are tweeting about a candidate, but you're on the clock right then, that's maybe not the best use of time. Um, but after hours, weekends, take the day off, do pretty much whatever you want. Any questions about that? There's an attorney in the room that can answer today. Well, I would say to a lot of state employees, I have a Um, on the other side 
brought this up that uh, no one really wanted to talk about politics anyway, so we never really had to navigate this whole thing. And then when everything became a problem, all of a sudden we have people looking like um, they're trying to like, bring down the camera. Um, and so know what you're actually able to do, and I think that will be a lot more effective. Thank you. We've got about 30 minutes left, so we'll kind of buzz through these. Uh, so lots of questions about initiative petitions. Um, where do they come from? They come from you, and they come from the legislature, the two main sources. There's no immaculately conceived petitions, they all come from somewhere. Um, and there's different kinds, I didn't go through the time to break it all out for you. Um, but basically, the two main categories, three main categories, one is a statute change, so just a regular law change, um, and then one is a constitutional amendment. We in Oklahoma love to amend our constitution. It's weird. We had like four amendments at the last election. Like the U.S. Constitution is not amended that often, right? Like the last time was a long time ago. Uh, but Oklahoma also, when it was passed, the constitution was the longest governing document in the world. It's like 600 pages, um, and we just amended it a whole bunch because we historically Oklahomans are very populist. We're very um, distrusting of government. We want to make sure that they only do things within the confines of how we define it. So we like spelled out the, the, boy, the uh, flashpoint of kerosene in the Constitution, in case anyone wants to argue that fact. Um, so, so we like to amend the Constitution. It's not easy. So to, if you wanted to um, do an initiative petition for a statute change, a regular law change, you have there's a huge long process um, where you have to get it written, like get the ballot title written, what it would do, then you have to submit that to the Secretary of State, they have to review it, um, uh, if once they kind of approve it, they put it out, so that if anyone wants to challenge it, you can challenge it, they have to hear all of those challenges, and then once all that is satisfied, then you can start collecting signatures, and that process takes months and months and months, because you're at the mercy of governing bodies, um, who may not always move with me. And then once you start collecting signatures, you have 90 days to collect them. That's it. If you're trying to do a statute change, you have to get 8% of the number of people that voted in the last gubernatorial election. So right now, how many people voted in the last gubernatorial election four years ago? 8% of that, if you get them to sign up, if you register voters. 41,000 people. 41,000 people? Thanks, Liz. Bing. Approximately 41,000 people, um, and then, is that it? 
dark side to it. <laughs> um, so that's difficult. Um, so the ones that we kind of heard about, the one to amend, say, question 640 is, pretty, is very likely dead in the legislature. It was, <laughs> it was going to um, come out to vote of the people, but it did not pass. There's always a chance they can bring it back up during one of their conference committee situations, but it seems unlikely. Um, do you know if the 7% is still going? They're discussing. Okay, they're, taking, so, they're taking stock and kind of seeing what they want to do. So the, the OEPA, which is the small oil and gas producers, a while back had proposed an initiative to increase the gross production tax to 7% and have that fund education. But now we pass some money, they may not pursue it after all. And just on a pragmatic note, let's say it passed and they tied all its education money to the gross production tax. What's the big problem with the gross production tax? Well, or the gas was up and down. Why do we keep tying everything we want to this up and down? Like, it'll never be safe. So, um, in my, I understand the spirit behind it, and I think the reality is a little bad, but I'm not an only gas attorney or an economist. Um, over to primaries, so there's um, some folks, Scott and I are involved in this, um, looking at changing Oklahoma's elections, so that to maybe even move away from a two-party system, or to keep two parties there, but have the primary be open to anybody. So rather than Republicans voting for Republicans and Dems voting for Dems, um, some states have an open system, a jungle primary, if you will, which is one of my favorite terms, um, where everyone runs and you vote for whoever you like the best, and then from there, like a top two go on to the general election. Um, That's the catch. It's a lot of people. A lot of people yeah. love the idea of like, oh, anybody can vote in anybody's primary. But the catch is, depending on your district or depending on the makeup. For any given office, you may have two Republicans at the top of the ticket, you may have two Democrats at the top of the ticket, you may have one each, you have a Democrat and a Libertarian, you may have a Republican and an Independent. So that's that's the other thing, right? That everybody loves, like, yes, vote in any primary, but um, we have a lot of questions. Be sure you know in the next two years the state of Oklahoma registered independents can vote in a Democratic primary. That's right. Because yeah. passed their state convention. So it's a good point. So right now, um, if you're registered as a Republican, you can vote in Republican primaries, and that's it. I mean, in general, of course, um, Democrats and Independents can both vote in the Democratic primary elections, uh, but you can't vote in the cross-party. The Democratic Party in Oklahoma voted to allow Independents to vote in their primary, Republicans did not. Um, so I've, like, I've known a lot of folks that have switched to Independent from one or both parties, and then they find out they can only vote in this one, extra mint Republican, but that's who they switched from. Uh, and so the downside of that is there are some races that have like two Republican candidates and so in the primary, so whoever wins the primary is going to be that elected official for that district and Democrats and independents don't get a say in that. So that's where the open primaries thing would level the field a little bit um, is that you can still vote because they're going to represent you just because someone from your party didn't run. So there's that. Um, all right, so elections matter. This is maybe one of our last slides. Um, so we talked about this a lot today. Be informed, read, do stuff. I have some friends that hosted a dinner party um, about all the state questions in 2016, and there was like six couples, and everyone on the email chain had to select one state question to research and present. Which is a super geeky book club. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they provided the food.
food, we all, you know, brought like a, you know, something, and so we ate, yeah, ham salad or something, uh, and, uh, and then we, we ate, so we had dinner, and we all went around, and each person presented, and we all, everyone made handouts, no one even told us to, it was really weird, um, but we all made handouts, and everyone just kind of presented, like, here's a history of this guy, one guy went back to, like, the Greeks, <laughs> and, like, how this idea, and I was like, you did a lot of homework. Um, but at the end, um, it was not presented necessarily with what you should do. It's just like here's the here's the argument for and against this this measure. And at the end, we all had a way better understanding, and we kind of typed it up um, into a summary, and he sent it out to all of us, so we could because we all took notes, but he didn't remember it all. Uh, so Can that's that? Above the <laughs> yeah, that was from all over Rock Valley. Uh, <laughs> but that's the kind of thing. You know, there's a big there'll be big voter guides. Almost certainly this year, um, read those in the paper, find them, um, make them yourself. We'll put um, one out. Yeah, write it down. Like when you go to vote, you can write stuff down. You can bring in your own notes in the ballot box. That's fine. You can print off the ballot ahead of time, make your notes on that, and take it in with you. There you go. Okay. <laughs> hey. um, I was going to say, can I do a pitch for voting by mail? Yes, quick? Yes, yes, yes. You can vote by mail. I don't know if you, you don't have to, in Oklahoma, you don't have to like prove that you're out of the, the state or anything. Like anybody can do it. You just go to the election board and sign up. I think it's only good for a year, so you do have to renew it. But what I love about it is that the ballots are mailed to you because, I mean, there's a lot of elections, and I consider myself fairly informed, and sometimes I'll get one and be like, oh, I didn't realize there was a, a bond issue. Or So the great thing is that you get them mailed to your house like three or four weeks ahead of time, and you have them in front of you so that you can research everything. You can research the candidate or the state question. So vote by mail. About voting, um, people I think sometimes worry, like, I'm not going to go vote in this election because... You know, the only race I care about is president, right? I don't care about voting for all these other things, which you should, we should all vote and all the, and everything. But if you are uncertain about an issue, if you're a candidate, right? Like, you don't know who you want to vote for for this, like, state district judge. That doesn't mean, like, your ballot doesn't get invalidated if you don't vote in every single race. That's a question that actually comes up. You can go and you can fill out whatever races you're most comfortable with. If there's a race in which you don't want to vote, or you don't feel like you're informed or qualified, you don't have to fill that out. It, it just doesn't make the rest of your ballot not count. So even if you only are going to vote for your state rep or your state senator or president or governor, whatever the case may be, um, please still go vote for all the races that you feel equipped to, to do so. Yeah. Another plug um, for election reminders, there's a website service called TurboVote. You go to ok.turbovote.org. You can sign up. They'll send email reminders and a text reminder to you. You put in your address, and it will sign you up for whatever one you are eligible for, even down to the city school board level. They don't spam you. They don't sell your stuff. You really get, like, two messages. Like, you get one text uh, three or four weeks out, and another one uh, two or three days out, just saying, remember, vote on Tuesday. That's super helpful. Um, we try to put out little reminders. Not everyone's going to see it, but if you see it and want to share it, great. There's an election almost every month in Oklahoma, somewhere in the state, people need to be voting. Um, so please tell your neighbors. I, I've got to talk to the board, but um, I really want for us to have yard signs for sale that say, like, vote next Tuesday. So that even if you don't support a candidate, you can just put a sign in your yard that says vote next Tuesday so your neighbors might remember Oh, right. Like there's an election coming up. So, okay.turbovote.org. This is not an example from Oklahoma, but just every single vote does matter. 
um, the Virginia, Virginia had a big election recently. Um, control of the Virginia House of Delegates came down to one vote. One vote decided the race that determined control of the House of Delegates and whether or not control of the House of Delegates would be in the party of the governor or the opposite party. One vote. Um, and, and even, like, when you look at the election results, um, like city council races and stuff, uh, War Acres, um, this last go around when they had the city council elections, one guy, it was like 12 to 8. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have 13 friends to show up for that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, knock, first of all, knock some doors, and also, uh, War Acres is not a big town, but also, who didn't vote? Like, that was not many votes. And so, people forget that at the, I mean, so the more local the, the office, the bigger impact it has on your life, right? So, your city council determines lots of stuff about zoning and sales tax rates, all kinds of stuff that affect the road you drive on in your city, um, police, fire, all that kind of stuff. It really matters. And so, whoever, like, voter number 24 was that didn't show up, like, they might have got votes. I don't know. So. Um, all right, Steve, we have any slides left? All right, great. Um, so now it's uh, just Q&A. We've got about 20 minutes or so. Yeah, 15 minutes. Um, I know we've covered a hodgepodge of stuff, but any questions about things that we covered or didn't cover? Yes, ma'am. So, so Coburn's initiative petition right now is still up in the air. Right. It's not yeah, they coming yet. Yeah, that's yeah. So here's the deal with that. Um, he doesn't have the signatures yet, though. Yeah, he doesn't have all the signatures yet. Oh, um, he, I don't know if they've started yet. I don't think they've started yet. Started yet. Started and started that's board. It's filed yeah. election board. It's got to get approval. People can file challenges. Those go to court. Then he gets to a signatures. It is, it is unlikely, fingers crossed, un unlikely that he will have enough time to get it done. However, Dr. Coburn's a smart guy, and I don't think he would do it if he didn't have at least some chance. So, um, so that's out there. But now, wouldn't that increase the voter turnout against it, though? Yes. So wouldn't that work in our favor in a way? That would be helpful. The, the problem would be, and this is, a, this is somewhat unknown, right? So I talked to uh, David Black from the Oklahoma Policy Institute last Thursday about this, and that this is somewhat unprecedented, um, and they might try to file some kind of injunction to say, oh, well, we're getting signatures because this would stop all of those revenue measures from going into effect if it passed. Uh, and so he could try to file an injunction to say, well, we're collecting signatures. Let's not have them go into effect because we're trying to challenge them anyway. And if a court happened to agree with that, then it would delay all this money we're supposed to get. That would be terrible. Um, I also have a hard time imagining that a judge would do that because that's a bad precedent. Because if they did that, then why couldn't we file an injunction against his injunction? And then they could file an injunction against our injunction against their And then we just would have fall over again. Just the whole thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that, I mean, I'm, I'm personally hoping that it just doesn't make it. Actually, I don't we'll think it has been filed with the election board. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of things you don't have, though, which is very important. Yeah, there's several I didn't. Well, there's not very many, actually. According to the election board, there's that one, and this is actually, you can see a lot about it, is the Walmart one to be able to sell yeah. eyeglasses. Uh, 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 you're going to see a lot later, busy, getting signatures, yeah. You're going to see. 
a lot of them. We will add that to our podcast agenda for the next yeah, few weeks. Yeah, All right. You said uh, the meeting is tomorrow in Edmond. The meeting is where? Our meeting? Yeah. Tomorrow in Edmond at 6.30 at the Patriarch. Where is that? Sorry, 78. You said they're interested. Hope so. <laughs> oh, what street? It's not 8th Street? Uh, it's, it's around off Broadway. It's directly north of the post office. Directly north of the post office. Yeah. I've been there once, but I don't remember the address. Directly next to the fire system. But if you get to the post office, take a ride. It'll be upstairs in the Patriot. It's an old house. They do have beer there. Not the church here. Beer wine. I do want to say on a a personal note, uh, when I was uh, (coughs) in college, an undergrad, I started out as a theology major, and I was an intern here at OBC First um, with John Bittendorf, who's now the pastor, and let us use the space. and this is many moons ago, but we were discussing what to do with this property we had back here. We dreamed then of having a community center that people could use for philosophy events. Um, and so it's really cool to me to be here now, uh, nearly 20 years later, um, and using that community center that we dreamed about back then. So that's a personal story. We'll cry about that later. Yes, sir. I had a question about if you wanted to go help your neighbor to register to vote. Yeah. What legality do you have there? Could you provide the postage, the you know, the form, the everything there? But could you also be advocating for it? Can't. Uh, can't. You well, can't have it for candidate and register. I don't think. Oh, it's a legal thing. Yeah. You, you, you can get it to sign up. Yeah. You can't provide anything else. Yeah. yeah. You can yeah. yeah. come back 20 minutes later. Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 Don't like show up with a uh, you know, yeah. John Q. candidate t shirt and be like, We're sure to vote. That's. And you won't make it and mail it for them, or you can let them mail it themselves. Yeah. League of Women Voters, I think, right now is doing like voter registration training. I know they have one coming up in Tulsa. I assume they probably have them here. So that would, pro- that would be a good resource to, yeah. to check out. Yeah. Yes, sir. Who is
you can you can vote by mail or in person. Don't do both. That's about yeah. it. <laughs> uh, and uh, David Glover's not here, but on his behalf, I will plug uh, badvoter.org. Uh, David comes up with everything, and um, you can look up other voters and see when the last time was they voted. It's mostly correct. Um, don't shame your neighbors. Like, let's just be cool. Um, don't shame Thunderblade. But there's that. Um, on our website, uh, come back to you. On our website, also letsfixthisok.org. Um, there's a resources tab that has links to the voter registration form, um, links to some OK policy about education funding, um, maps of the capital, lots of little resources. Uh, it's pretty handy. A lot of people text me like, hey, do you know where I can find whatever? I do, on our website. I made a link to it. Uh, I look for that stuff all the time as well. Can you tell them about the Oh, yeah. Um, next time you go to the Capitol, a recommendation. There's an app uh, for your phone. It's on Apple and Android. And it's for uh, the o you search for OAEC, uh, the o Oklahoma Association of it's green, looks like this as a capital. Um, it says Oklahoma's 56. Um, so for this, the rest of this year, it's still the most correct one. Um, it's free, it's really handy, it's simple, and it has, you can find everyone's office, there, you can email them from within the app, you can call them, find their office number, and it has contact info for your federal representatives as well. And fun fact, if there are 30,000 people there and you're not getting any service because everybody's trying to use their phone, it still works. Yay! Right, because it's all locally. Yeah, that's a huge plus. Um, so if you're at the Capitol, you dress nice, everyone thinks you belong there, and they will ask you for directions. Tell them, well, find out what room it's in, why it's the right this stage. It's really helpful. So the number of times I'm just standing around the hallway. It's like guiding Yeah. Uh, any last questions, comments? Yes, ma'am. Just a comment. Uh, with all the hopefully anticipated new <coughs> registered voters, uh, we're going to talk, we're going to have a lot of people who have never voted before, and it's a very intimidating process. Yeah. Like he said, if you go in and you've got all these questions. So to me, if we are very strategic about first getting huge voter registers, then workshops that teach them to take the guide and don't tell them to vote. I don't want everybody thinking the same up there. Uh, but to help them walk to the poll with a cheat sheet for their own, their own cheat sheet. Yeah. What's that? Everybody needs one. Yeah. It'll make the lines go faster. <laughs> we, between now and at least before November for sure, um, we're going to do a video that's like a how to vote. Um, we're working with the election board to borrow some cardboard voting booth things. And to the extent that they're pretty accommodating, so we're going to try to make a video to be shared so that we can kind of help people walk through the process at least visually. You can't film on election day, it's illegal. So. I would just like to say that I've seen you on last week. On our website? Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, quick, if there's any other questions. Um, as far as like when I really thought about this question, what's next, and kind of empathize and put myself in the position of teachers or people who are passionate about education or state employees, um, I would want to know. You know, I know what it's like to have so much passion and energy and anger and not quite know like what you can do with that, and you know that is going to be productive. 
Um, obviously, to everyone's point, continuing to build on this momentum and not letting it die down by engaging your legislators as session ends and they go back to your districts, but more so than, or in addition to that, I should say, engaging around other issues like criminal justice reform, um, like the fact that 90% of teachers are women, so this is absolutely and necessarily a gender issue, and a woman's issue is a human issue, and it's something that we need our male allies on, and women need to realize that the reason you are being undervalued in the classroom is because you are a woman, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. And so this is my, the, the issue of education, the issue of uh, prioritizing and adequately funding core agencies, uh, and valuing our state employees, everything relates to one another. So these social justice issues that seem unrelated or not, we increased funding for criminal justice, for, uh, excuse me, for the Department of Corrections by 174%. Because instead of pouring into the front end and ensuring that kids have a pathway to success, we're incarcerating them later, we're incarcerating their parents, and so then they think that's the only avenue or pathway that they have for the rest of their life. So we're spending the money, we're just spending the money on the back end. So become an advocate for criminal justice reform. It's a fiscal issue, it's a social justice issue. Become an advocate for women's issues because if you care about your teacher, if you care about your daughters, your granddaughters, your nieces, your sisters, as a male or a female, you should care about women's issues. They're your issues too, They're, they impact our economy. We're missing out on $6.2 billion annually that go back into our Oklahoma economy, which we could use a little bit of love right now uh, because of the gender gap, because of the wage gap, because we're not paying women equally solely because they're women. So I'm gonna get off my soapbox now, but really like you, now you're engaged, you're in it, you've seen the demoralizing reality of what happens or doesn't happen in that building a lot of the time. So you have a responsibility and obligation to continue to engage around issues that are important to you. I would echo that and say everything that Alicia said about criminal justice reform, um, you can say about healthcare too. Um, there, there are a couple of bills that are, in my opinion, very destructive. Um, it has to do with Medicaid that passed the legislature this session that are um, kind of aimed at like helping people get off Medicaid. I think what they'll really do is just decrease people's ability to participate in Medicaid. Um, we're still going to pay for taking care of those people, but we're now we're going to do it in the most expensive way possible, which is emergency room and ICU hospitalizations. Um, so ex engaging in things outside of the issue that brought you to the table in the first place is vital for, for all of us. Sabina, so, any last thoughts? Um, just to build off that, I think just rec taking a step back and recognizing that our system was not designed for quick change. I mean, like, if you look at the process for a bill and, like, read about what it all takes and how many, like, committees and chambers it takes, like, it wasn't designed to be a quick-changing system. So I would just encourage, like, don't get discouraged that we didn't get everything that we wanted after a walkout. Our system was not designed to work that way. It works best with just sustained engagement. So be in it for the long haul, know when to take a break. It's totally okay to take a break. Self-care is important. Um, but just be in it for the long haul and know that that's what it takes to get progress. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, thanks everyone for being here. Yeah. Uh, sorry to That brings us to the end of this episode. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Scott is at SC Melson, 
and Andy is at AndyOKC. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash letsfixthisok. Our website is letsfixthisok.org, and there you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, find resources and details about upcoming events. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me, and Let's Fix This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music is generously provided by the Sugar Free All Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can, and remember decisions are made by those who show up.